Alright guys, what's going on? This is your boy Christian Israel and you are tuning in to the New Creation Capital Podcast, a place where we discuss what happens in the world today, where we discuss and talk about and focus on current events, the stock market and digital assets. Of course, this is a new you, a new future and a new creation guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today is April 14th, Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. I hope you are, are doing well. I hope your day is going well. I hope you guys are trading well. Um, if you guys are in the stock market right now, we see that you have had a great day. If you are in the stock market, not so much if you're in oil, but we're going to get into that. Today's story is big. Outside of this story right here that we are 28 days from the block having. We are 28 days, so it's a do or die time, guys. We're going to see what's going to happen here. Today's story is going to feature the question, why does America or why does the overall wannabe government want to keep people poor? Or the question not is so much why do they want to keep us poor is are they really keeping us poor? And if so, how are they doing it? So we're going to go into some things today. And today is just going to be a, a, a me playing a video for you. And I want you to continue to ask the question, why? Why, why, why? That's what I want you to ask today. And if when you when you have an answer or you have more questions, you can hit us up on New Creation Cap on our Twitter. Of course, you can hit us up on our podcast blog, which is publishox.com, where you can see everything. Yesterday was, was the banks are, are failing businesses. Today, the banks are up. Of course, they're making money. And as you know, you can hit us up on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and of course, the Anchor platform where you can support us and message us and send us video messages. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube right now, please hit that subscribe button, hit the like button and comment. It's all for the algorithm. And as I like to say, do the social media thing. Thank you guys so much. As you can see right here, the estimated having is May 12th. So we are under a month, guys. Let's jump on into the first story of the day. Uh, a little news here from Mr. XRP himself. Um, if you guys haven't seen this about the small loans, uh, this is not such a good thing. Mr. XRP, shout out to you. Thank you so much for this information. Basically now saying if you are an SBA, if you applied for the SBA loan, it's no longer guaranteed $10,000. You might get between $1,000 and $10,000 now. So that, not so fun. That's not cool. It just continues to go on how the banks are failing people. More to it right there as, as of the 29th. But we got some bullish news here, some more bullish news. This was tweeted by Sir Gecko at Gordon Gecko 369 who was featured in uh, the movie, the Gecko movie. Anyway, yesterday, if you don't know who what the movie was yesterday, go back a little clip from Boiler Room in the beginning. All right, so this here is important. We talked about the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission before. Here, we are talking about something a little different. I'm going to zoom in. This is basically about virtual currencies and digital assets. So we can see here the proposed thing is right here is that I want you to see. Okay, it says here, oh, I can't zoom in on this. All right, so it says here, in addition, okay, the proposal would acknowledge digital assets as physical deliverable asset class, as a physically deliverable asset class in light of the listing of a number of physical delivered virtual currency contracts, okay? Meaning, 
that basically these are commodities. This is the rule. This is how it works. Um, that's just pretty good bullish news in general right there, guys. This is right now. This is hot off the press from the CT, uh, CFTC and basically trying to say that 24-hour news cycle, we're going to move up. We're going to move as the market moves in global trading. In addition, the proposal would acknowledge digital assets as a physically deliverable asset. So that's big news, getting some clarity, some regulation. And by the way, it says it was voted unanimously. So um, just going to move forward with that. I think that's a pretty, pretty good deal. So shout out to Sir Gecko for that. Um, here's the thing breaking. The CFTC just unanimously passed the rule amending the Part 50 clearing requirement. The CFTC also just unanimously approved two final rules. Amendments to Part 23, margin requirements for European stability mechanism, and amendments to Part 160 privacy rules. Hot off the press about 30 minutes ago, guys. So that's some pretty bullish news. Anyway, let's jump into today's video. There are going to be multiple videos today, so I'm going to play this for me. This is from Robert Kiyosaki. He is the guy who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, okay? And I think it's pretty big to understand what he says here. The whole question is, and shout out, by the way, to Motivation Hub. This is from them. I thank you guys for this. This is not our content. I'm going to play a clip from two years ago. And, and it's pretty interesting because he talks about what it means to gather money, right? And what it means to keep them poor. Um, I don't know. Just ask the question why. I'm going to play clips for you throughout the day. I'm not going to talk so much. We're going to move clip to clip to clip. And I just want you to ask the question, why does the media, why does the overall government do what they do? And why is there so much fight with kind of what Trump is trying to do, what he's saying versus what the mass media is saying? So why does the mass media, the education system, and the overall Democratic Republic lie to the people? All right, let's hit play. Do the rich people cringe and say, don't tell them that, Robert? Yes, 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 don't tell people what, they, what you know. Right. Keep them poor. My father was the head of education, PhD, all that stuff. I go home and ask him, said, why don't we learn about money in school? And he looked at me and said, because the government doesn't let us teach that subject. The government tells us what we can teach and what we can't teach. I thought that was strange. And I said, but aren't we going to school to learn about money? He says, no, your job is to get a job. I said, but you get a job to earn money. He goes, no, you're supposed to just get a job. I went, no, 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 no. Isn't the purpose of a job to earn money? He goes, you're correct. I said, so why don't I just learn about money? I can skip the job part, you know? And he got flustered and he said, if you want to learn about money, why don't you ask your best friend's father about money? And I said, why? That's Mike. So I asked him. He says, because Mike's father is an entrepreneur. And I said, what, am, what are you? He says, I'm an employee. I'm a government employee. I went, oh, what's the difference? He says, the difference is an entrepreneur must know about money. Or then they're no longer entrepreneurs. And it says an employee doesn't have to know anything about money because the government will take care of them, the company will take care of them. So I'm kid, I'm all confused. But I took my dad's advice and I trundled over to Mike's father's office and knocked on his door and I said, hey, I'm here, nine years old, teach me about money. He says, beat it, kid, you know. 
But that's where the story of Rich Dad Poor Dad started. And finally, through persistence, my rich dad started teaching me about money on one condition. And that condition was he would never pay me. He says, the moment I pay you, you think like an employee. He says, that's the trap. Entrepreneurs work for free. And now I'm nine years old, my head's going cracking in half. He says, you never want a paycheck. Understand that, kid. I said, okay, I got it. And he says, well, how do I make money? He says, that's what entrepreneurs figure out. <laughs> it's like, so how do I learn about money? So he would just break out a Monopoly game board. So I would work for free. I'd pick up cigarette butts and get hotels and restaurants that I would clean and do menial tasks. And as I got older, I started getting into office work and marketing and accounting. And I was an apprentice, basically. But I always worked for free. And he would teach me about money. But the way he taught me about money was playing Monopoly. And I finally, one day, I got upset. I said, well, when are you going to teach me about money? He says, what do you think we're doing? We're playing Monopoly. He goes, no, 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 no. What do you think we're doing? We're playing Monopoly. He says, what do you think we're doing? So I don't know. I'm teaching about money. And then that's when, you know, you have one green house. You know, he says, there's many formulas for great success in money. There's thousands of them. But one of the best ones found on the game of Monopoly. It still is today. Four green houses, one red hotel. I said, what? He says, one of the greatest ways to acquire great wealth is playing Monopoly in real life. Four greenhouses, one red hotel. But is that all there is? He goes, that's it. And he says, what do you think I'm doing? And I went, I don't know. So then he took me out and he showed me his greenhouses. And 10 years later, when I was 19, I was now in school in New York. And I come back to Hawaii and Rich Dad had bought the biggest piece of land smack dab in the middle of Waikiki Beach. And when you go to Waikiki Beach today, you'll see the Hyatt Regency Hotel. That was his hotel. Just like the game of Monopoly. Just like the game of Monopoly. Acquired assets and they became bigger assets. He just kept what's called an assemblage because that property wasn't that big at the time. So he had to buy out all the small guys. Because Waikiki was a little dirt mud, a little town. So he'd buy out this shop owner and buy that shop owner. And it took him a while, but he finally assembled this large piece of property. And then he, then he and Hyatt put up this giant hotel. Mm. You know, and, I, just, and it just sold for $800 million. So that's how I learned about money. I've had financial crashes. I've had people stab me in the back, but they're all good because I grow from it. That's spirituality. Right. You know, people who are afraid of making mistakes like they teach in school, they don't ever grow because spirituality is there's good and there's bad. There's right and there's wrong. There's up and there's down. Most people don't want to be right. They only want to be positive. Well, you can't have that. That's not reality. Well, I wasn't poor by most people's standards, but I came from a family with a poor attitude, if you know what I mean, because rich, poor, middle-class poverty starts with a fundamental attitude. Poverty is passed on. It's taught in your families. And middle-class is taught in families. And so the people right now who are sitting at home <clears throat> who are struggling financially or worried about money or 
unhappy that they may be making a lot of money, but unhappy with what they're doing. It was probably taught to you. You know, your superego was taught, get a job, work hard, or you'll, or you'll never be rich, or the rich are evil, or whatever. The school system will never teach you about money. The school system was designed to teach you to be an employee, which is important, or a doctor or a lawyer, a specialist, but never about money. And what most people lack is real business knowledge, like accounting, you know, like debt, like taxes. You gotta know that stuff, but they don't teach it in school to anybody. So, and, and then when people ask me, how did your rich dad learn this when your poor dad, a PhD, didn't? And the answer is very simply, my rich dad, who's my, my best friend's father, his father died when he was 13. So his so rich dad had this family business at 13 to run. So he had to drop out of school, which was his blessing. You know, those blessings and, you know, sometimes a blessing doesn't look like a blessing, but it turned out to be a blessing. And then his teachers became his bookkeeper, his accountant, his attorney, his banker, his real estate agents. So he has what I call real teachers, not these fake teachers in school. You see, most teachers in school, they're out of ethics. They teach subjects they, don't, they themselves don't practice. I asked the teacher, I said, you know, I'm in my third year of calculus now. It was called, it was called strength of materials. I said, am I ever going to use this stuff? He goes, no. You know, I said, why do you teach it? I was like, I paid. I said, do you ever use it? He goes, no. And that's why, you know, I, you have to, in life, one of the things I suggest to people, you got to find a real teacher versus a fake teacher. And a fake teacher is somebody who doesn't do what they teach. And a real teacher is doing what they teach every day. So my accountants, my attorneys, they're in it every single day. That's how I learn, because every day I'm solving problems in my business. So I have, I have accountants and attorneys and bankers and all these people on speed dial because I'm, I'm solving problems with my team. I see you giving this knowledge out and yeah. do, do the rich people cringe and say, don't tell them that, Rob? Yes, yes, yes. Don't tell people what, they, what you know. Right. Keep them poor. But, you know, unfortunately, the poor, as was in the Bible, I'm not real religious, the poor will always be amongst us because it starts up here. Right. It's that fear mentality. It's, it's in their words, you know, and the words become flesh. I'm not really religious. I flunked out of Sunday school also. But when they say I can't afford it or I can't do that, they go down. They become what they say. My PhD dad, he says, what do you think I am, made of money? I can't afford that. And my rich dad would say, that's why he's poor. Poor people say, I can't afford it. I can't do that. I don't have time. Because this is an escape. It's an escape. You know what I mean? It's easy to say, I can't afford it. And your rich dad used to say what instead of, I can't afford it? How can I afford it? How can I do that? You know, what would it take? Or why should I do that? He says, that a question opens a mind, a statement closes the mind. So when you say, I can't afford it, your mind shuts down and you become what you say. Rugby is a team sport, but so is soccer. The rules are different. And other people are golfers. They play by themselves. And so everybody's different. So my game financially is business, number one. Second is real estate. 
So what I say to young people is, you, you find your game. So that's pretty interesting, right? Uh, I guess I really want you to ask is the question why. Um, there's some things in there, you know, keep them poor, four houses to one big property. He does misquote the Bible there. The he's trying to he tried to quote John one one. It says, "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God." And then verse fourteen was, "The Word became flesh." So. It's not about words becoming flesh. It's about the word becoming flesh, the word being Jesus. But that's okay. He said he, he flunked Bible school, uh, Sunday school anyway. But the point of what I wanted you to listen there is the question about keeping people poor. And we're going to go about how they keep people poor systemically. But the question is why? What is the end game here? So we're going to move on to the next video here. And this is by Julia Chatterley. Uh, of CNN. She is an analyst. She's big on fintech. She's done multiple interviews with Brad Garlinghouse and some of the other big people. And yesterday she tweeted this out. This is news yesterday, so this is nothing different than what you've probably already seen. But she tweeted here, this is going to be the week we see fintech come in and maybe even save the day, which is Karen G. Mills, who Karen G. Mills is uh, part of the Harvard Business School. Uh, she's a former administrator. She's a part of uh, a former administrator of the Small Business Association with the government and the author of FinTech Small Business and the American Dream. So we're going to zoom in here and we are going to listen to what she has to say in the interview here. And again, this is more about videos. This one more of a question of why do they want to keep you poor and how are they going to keep you poor? Let's listen. National leaders will try once again this week to pass an additional $250 billion in aid for small businesses struggling to survive the COVID-19 crisis. Small businesses employ around half of the U.S. workforce. They're a critical driver of the economy, but the Paycheck Protection Program has had a pretty rocky rollout so far, with firms scrambling to secure loans that should help them save jobs. What more is required? Joining us now, Karen Mills, a former administrator of the U.S. Small Business Administration, the SBA, under the Obama administration, and is a currently, currently a senior fellow at Harvard Business School. She's also the author of the book FinTech, Small Business, and the American Dream. Karen, fantastic to have you with us. Overwhelmed is the word I would use just in terms of the sheer volume of loans that are trying to be created here to support small business. Is and are fintech lenders perhaps a key to getting money out quicker, particularly to some of the smallest businesses in the nation? Well, I think this is going to be the week that we see fintech come in and maybe even save the day. You know, the next two weeks are critical for America's small business owners. As you know, they have really been struggling. They only have about three or four weeks of cash on hand, and they've been closed for that period of time. So you saw it in the unemployment numbers. And as you said, these are half of America's jobs. So we did have one week of the plan so far. And as you said, it was bumpy. Banks are not known for moving quickly. And this is $349 billion worth. In my tenure, we had a big crisis and we did a record year. We did 30 billion. So this is 10X that volume. So what we're seeing now is that People are applying. They say they've got about 200 billion approved, but only about 1%, according to some information I received this morning, seems to be flowing into the hands of small businesses. So the question is, what are we gonna do to get the money out there? 
And over the weekend, we had some good news, which is that Square and PayPal and Intuit, which runs QuickBooks, got approved to be direct SBA lenders. So this could be a real game changer for small business owners because QuickBooks, for instance, has a TurboTax-like uh, calculator where you can go on and it will tell you how to get through all these calculations. And it may even have a button you can press and it uploads all your information from QuickBooks. So that kind of thing could take away a lot of the pain. Then we just have to get the funding to flow, which means that the Fed has to start buying this paper that they promised to buy so the banks and others can replenish their balance sheet. And then we need Congress to give us more money because we're gonna run out. I mean, you made a point that, and I heard the same thing over the weekend, despite the fact that a lot of these loans are being processed, just 1% of small businesses are receiving the money. And a lot of that, according to the lenders, is a backlog at the Small Business Administration because they haven't given out approval or authorization numbers because they're completely overwhelmed by the number of, of elements that they have to go through here in order to give that approval. In fact, they're being told and they're telling the banks whatever you've received so far is not enough for you to be able to release the money. Is it just a case of bringing fintech lenders here in to provide money or does more firepower and support need to be given to the Small Business Administration to unlock that choke point? I think they brought in some firepower in the form of Amazon. And my understanding is that they have actually gotten uh, some of that bottleneck moving. So ETRAN is up and moving and they've got about 200 billion through that pipeline. Now the question is, where's the funding coming from? And in fact, the funding comes from the banks and their balance sheets. So I'm not sure why they haven't pressed the button and transferred the cash. Part of it is they're kind of worried they're gonna run out of money on their balance sheet and they mm. wanna see this Fed facility up and running. And I did hear this weekend that that might take 10 days and we do not have 10 days. They also for the FinTechs, they don't have a lot of money on their balance sheet. So they have to line up the cash. Now they're pretty good. They've been working for two weeks on the tech. You know, they're getting the 200 people and coding all weekend and all week. And they're going to be fine on the front end and processing, but they've got to get the cash flowing as well. So this is the week of the cash. But I do want to shout out to those frontline SBA workers and bankers and small business owners who, um, you know, are counseling and helping small businesses. This is overwhelming and we yeah. will get through it. Small business owners will help each other through it as well. How many, even in a best case scenario, as we see the money flowing, and let's assume that Congress agrees more money for this program, how many businesses in the United States do you think close and never reopen or decide they simply can't make it through this process? How many are we talking? Because we have 30 million small and medium sized businesses in this country. How many do we lose? Now, I'm really worried about this. And, and I've said, although it's just a guess, you know, we could lose 20% of our small business owners. There's a lot who are on the edge anyway, and they could just decide, you know, this is too much for me. I'm gonna turn away from my business and do something else. And the problem is, 
We saw this in 2009. When we lose our small business owners and our economy, it's very hard to start them up again. So I've been talking to Congress about a program called Restart America, where we're going to have to have local grants, you know, two $10,000 to $10,000 grants to say, you know what, maybe this is a good time for you to start a new business because we could really have um, trouble getting a V-shape or a U-shape recovery if we lose our small business owners. That's why this program is, is just fundamental. And I'm glad to see Congress put a priori priority on it, but they better get the next tranche of money out soon. I know. I mean, if we're talking about 20% of small and medium-sized enterprises, we're talking 6 million small businesses that don't make it past this process. In your mind, as Congress battles over whether to give more money to states, uh, whether to give more money to healthcare workers, which indeed is required, should they together be prioritizing this program specifically simply because this is about saving jobs today? Well, I do want to give a shout out to all our healthcare and hospital workers, Spalding Hospital that um, I was talking to yesterday. You know, these are our frontline workers. We need to support them. But small business is the backbone of the economy. And what I say to Congress now is more money and keep it simple. We do not need more restrictions. I think the pipes will start flowing to small businesses soon, like this week. And I think these fintechs are gonna give the banks a run for their money. It's gonna be interesting to watch in the future how this is a game changer for fintechs. They've been struggling for recognition. They aren't federally approved and regulated. If they do a great job here, which I'm betting actually they will, and serve small business owners, small businesses are gonna remember this and they're gonna to learn to trust these providers and uh, banks are gonna step up and try to be more responsive as a result. So I'm hopeful for this week, although we still have a long way to go. Yeah, this adds a lot more competition to your point. This is the moment you build clients and you build clients for life. Karen, fantastic to have you with us. Karen Mills, former administrator of the US Small Business Administration and senior fellow at Harvard Business School. Stay safe, Karen, and great to have you with us. So you see there basically, you know, the banks have only given out 1%. We talked about that yesterday. And it's not so much they're blaming it on the government backlog, but as you heard them say, the bank should have it on the reserve. All they do has all they have to do is hit the pressure, hit the button. So the question is why? The mass media is saying the Trump administration, Steve Mnuchin, aren't doing it, right? That's what you hear. And the banks are blaming it on them. But when you look at the design of it, the banks should be able to do it. They should have it on the reserve. And there's an article that I'm going to go over later, but stock market investors are asking the wrong question about the coronavirus and the economy. They're asking the wrong questions because we see right now, we see that the stock market is rising. It is up currently right now, as I do this video, up 485 points on the day. Why? How is that working when people are losing their jobs and businesses aren't getting money? Where is the money coming from? So to continue to ask the question, Julia Chatterley is great, great, great. But as we see, the small businesses are going to fail. The big businesses are getting the money. The banks are getting their money. The, corp the massive corporations are getting their money. But you heard there the mindset of what happened in 2009. The same mindset is happening now where small businesses, people that are working, entrepreneurs that know about money or supposed to know about money are going to quit and they're going to drop and it's going to create a larger, uh, uh, what is it, wage, wage gap, uh, the wealth and the poor. It's going to continue. So 
My next thing is going to be kind of about the mass media. And I know this is going to get a lot of stuff. It's not really about if you're a Donald Trump supporter or Bernie Sanders or it's about what the mass media does. And I'm going to play this clip for you too about an agenda being pushed. I can give you a perfect example. Bernie Sanders was in the lead for the Democratic Party until all the Democrats decided they did not want Bernie Sanders to win. They did. And then they told the people what to think. You see uh, a past, past President Barack Obama come out today and basically uh, back Joe Biden. But duh, he's going to back the only candidate in the Democratic Party. But now it's supposed to be obvious big news. And I think it's the mass media push. So what we're going to do is I'm going to show you some videos over the next section about what the mass media says to you and what the truth is. And it doesn't matter who you listen. I'm going to play this article or this specifically. And I know Hannity's you got your own mind. I used to have my own thought press about Sean Hannity. But I want you to more listen to what he says, not really who he is here, okay? So let's take a jump in and listen. Bad actors that brought you Russia, 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 Ukraine, Ukraine, and Peach, and Peach. Now they're still lying to the American people once again, claiming that the president somehow must be responsible for COVID-19. Especially true of the New York Times, which has so much blind, psychotic rage they don't even fully comprehend, forgive them, I guess, they know not what they do at this point, in themselves. We are now breaking down some of their greatest errors tonight. For example, that garbage of a newspaper just published a hit piece, quote, he could have seen what was coming behind Trump's failure on the virus. Okay, before the New York Times tries to rewrite their history, let's remember, China didn't publicly identify. We did not as a world know about coronavirus till January 7th when it first got a name. The first case of coronavirus in the United States was January 21st, days later, 10 days later after the first case. January 31st, the president implemented the travel ban, then mandatory quarantines, and then subsequent travel bans, declaring a public health emergency. Trump haters everywhere, they said he was overreacting. They said he was racist. Biden said he was acting out of hysterical xenophobia and fear-mongering. February 5th, oh yeah, that newspaper, the New York Times, their headline, who says it's not safe to travel to China? Oh, great advice for your readers, adding that the coronavirus travel ban is unjust. It doesn't work anyway. Well, it worked. At this time, even the country's top specialists weren't predicting a widespread national crisis. Now, for example, there's no better, more renowned, more respected doctor on the issue of pandemic. A man that has spent his entire life saving lives, coming up with treatment. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the country's leading infectious disease expert. He has dedicated his life to fighting infectious diseases and saving lives. He has served under six U.S. presidents. This is his life calling and his life work. Perhaps no one in the world knows more about infectious diseases than Dr. Fauci. What I'm about to show you, this is not an attack on Dr. Fauci. Number one, China lied to the world. Number two, this is about context. Start on January 20th. At the time, Dr. Fauci, he wasn't sure the disease would spread from person to person. By the way, nobody knew. January 21st, Fauci said COVID-19 was not a major threat to the people of the U.S. The 2030 said that there's no chance in the world that the U.S. could shut down a major city like New York or San Francisco. The 26th, he re-emphasized coronavirus isn't something Americans need to worry about. January 31st, the day the president enacted the travel ban, 
Well, he said we still have a low risk to the American people. February 17th, he called the risk minuscule. As late as March 9th, Dr. Fauci said, healthy Americans, generally healthy, you can go on a cruise ship if you're healthy. Not an attack on Dr. Fauci. He was making determinations based on facts as they were unfolding in real time, doing his best as everyone else was. But it does shed a bright light on the president's decision early on to be called racist, xenophobic, fearmonger, etc., to put the travel ban into effect. In fact, as Dr. Fauci clarified today, President Trump used Dr. Fauci's expertise and Dr. Birx's expertise to, as to important tools to make critical decisions every single step of the way. They corroborated. They worked together in the interest of the American people. Was it perfect science? Nope. These things never are, are they? Take a look. The first and only time that Dr. Birx and I went in and formally made a recommendation to the president to actually have a quote shutdown in the sense of not really shutdown but to really have strong mitigation we discussed it obviously there would be concern by some that in fact that might have some negative consequences nonetheless the president listened to the recommendation and went to the mitigation the president relied on the experts but even in spite of it Nobody really thought the travel ban was needed at that time. And he was widely criticized. And his own observations about what was happening in China, his own gut instinct, the president had the foresight, the courage, the wisdom to do something no other president has done. Had had a quarantine in over 50 years in this country. The travel ban, quarantines, public-private partnerships, rewriting all the books on how we deal with pandemics. Right before our eyes, we are witness witnessing a paradigm shift. It is saving untold American lives. It has prevented untold tens of thousands of other Americans from contracting the disease, extrapolating out from there, saving American lives. The media mob, they continue to lie. They're, now, look, nobody's doubting there's still important work to be done. We've got to stay focused on not only beating the disease, but also figuring out a way to reopen the economy. We can't go on like this forever. Not enough money. You can't print your way out of this mess. Now, this will be especially tricky in those high-density population areas. For example, it's going to be a lot more challenging in New York City than any other place. My position, okay, if half the workforce, if you have, for example, essential, non-essential personnel, many Americans, it will be a new normal now for people to work from home in numbers never before seen. People going into work, they might have their temperature taken. They might even have to get a COVID-19 test. Social distancing will be a part of, of less crowded uh, office space. All of that, gloves, masks, for the time being, there is a disruption in everybody's life. Now keep in mind, our economy, it never fully closed. Truckers were working, farmers were working, uh, grocers were working, manufacturers of medical equipment and ventilators, they were all working harder to keep the country safe, to take care of our first responders in hospitals all across the country. Their safety, their well-being, so critically important, but so too are our inalienable rights. As we go towards reopening business in the country, we can't deny civil liberties, 
constitutional rights. People have a right to medical privacy. You can't be tracking Americans as they travel. We can't have nationwide databases with America's personal health information on it. I don't trust any of them in Washington in the swamp. The constitutional infringements coming from some state, local governments, this has to stop. So I want you to see there how important, right? He just points out some of the things you know that the mass media says and what they're what they're going against and i think it's important there to see how he ends that talking about how they're moving in trying to get people to have control mass surveillance giving up your freedoms this is where this is going but why if you are uneducated and you are poor then you listen to the mass media and you listen to what they do and they fear mong you they tell you when we all know i had conversation with the uh, with a friend of mine uh, I consider her like a little sister, where she said, didn't you hear the World Health Organization say if you shut down the borders, they'll stop sharing information, and that if Trump shuts down the borders now to China, that he's just being a racist and a dictator? But then a month and a half later, not her, but people are saying, why, did, why didn't he do something earlier? He did, and everyone criticized him about it. In fact, that probably saved us from millions of people dying. I have a whole other outtake on, on the COVID-19 pandemic right now but just in general people are dying people are getting sick no matter what the actual reason it he is they are getting sick people are getting sick but do you guys remember what he was going on what was going on in january and february oh yeah he was being impeached focusing on impeachment and and as he says uh what if he was to at that point in time send everybody home right if he was to send everybody home Hey, go home and go quarantine in the middle of his impeachment. The people would have rioted, right? Or shut down schools in January. He shut down borders, took his time. It takes time to shut things down, guys. And everyone just wants it now, 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 now. When the World Health Organization themselves literally said, don't worry. Just going to point that out. The mass media is important. So you think I'm just playing Fox News, right? So here is... Uh, from the Young Turks, okay, they, these guys are more democratic, more liberal, right? So not just Fox News, let's look at the other side, but not a mainstream news media outlet. Let's see what they have to say about the mainstream media. And this was posted on uh, April 8th when Bernie Sanders dropped out. All right. Oh, let's get some volume here. Of the Democratic primary race. Bernie Sanders has officially dropped out of the Democratic primary race. He is still going to keep his name on the ballots in order to uh, collect delegates. This is a way of. Oh, why did I just do that? Let's let's try to load this again. Did they did they take that off? Let's see. Bernie Sanders has officially dropped out of the Democratic primary race. He is still going to keep his name on the ballots in order to uh, collect delegates. This is a way of him applying political pressure on Joe Biden so Biden can actually work with progressive voters towards some of the progressive policy proposals that they're demanding. So um, it's, a, it's a strategy that I think is actually pretty smart. Uh, but of course, Bernie's announcement has led to some bad actors uh, mocking his supporters, saying terrible things about Bernie, even though he's doing what he can to ensure that Donald Trump gets defeated. And so I want to give you the reaction from CNN specifically 
following Bernie Sanders's address to his supporters announcing that he is dropping out of the race. What struck me the most there is Senator Sanders in saying goodbye did acknowledge that Joe Biden had an insurmountable lead, but he didn't say anything nice about Joe Biden. He did not say he'd spoken to him. He did not say he would work with him. He said it was imperative to beat President Trump, but there was no big embrace of Joe Biden. He said nicer things about Joe Biden back during some of the Democratic debates than he said in saying goodbye. It was really noteworthy uh, that that was not part of his message at all. In fact, it's funny you say that as he was speaking, I was texting with people in and around Joe Biden asking if he had gotten a phone call because it was so uh, glaringly absent from Bernie Sanders' speech. Wow, uh, Dana Bash is really like on a losing streak lately with her commentary. Um, now, what did Bernie Sanders actually say about Joe Biden in his speech? I don't know. Let's take a look. Today, I congratulate Joe Biden, a very decent man, who I will work with to move our progressive ideas forward. He referred to Joe Biden as a very decent man. Understand that Bernie Sanders is addressing his supporters and explaining why he is uh, suspending his campaign. And he was very clear in stating that he's suspending his campaign because he wants to do everything possible to defeat Donald Trump. What do you think that means? That means embracing Joe Biden as a candidate. Do they have problems with like listening comprehension? It seems like mm -hmm. they do. I mean, what are they uh, paying millions of dollars for? To like not listen to anything and then share incredibly ignorant commentary? It's amazing to arguably, me. Jesus Christ. Yeah, <laughs> there's a case to be made for some of them. Have you seen a Saliza list? Um, but yeah, uh, there were four people there combined what would you say combined yearly salary for those four i mean millions. it's in the many millions and uh not only did john king say something that was equal parts dumb and untrue but none of the other three corrected him indeed dana bash agreed with him when he very clearly did compliment joe biden probably will be attacked by some people for complimenting joe biden he's also being attacked for supposedly not doing it as bernie and that's the thing with bernie sanders like I know we, you and I and, and others have been frustrated sometimes with um, the way he messages, the way he defends himself. But the thing that he always has to face is he will be attacked for everything he says, everything he doesn't say, and the inverse of both of those things. He's da damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, damned in every possible way. But how is Bernie Sanders supposed to exist in a media environment where people can be so willfully dishonest about what he's saying? What they're, they're directly responding to him saying and lying about it. Let me let me just be clear about something. The way that they're handling this, uh, that that conversation on CNN is so counterproductive to what they want because they are not incentivizing any type of unity whatsoever. On one hand, they believe that the onus is on progressives to unify, and then when progressives take the first step, when Bernie takes a massive step in suspending his campaign and referring to Joe Biden as a very decent man, okay, and, and talks about how he needs to support, we need to support uh, the candidate who can defeat Donald Trump. Like, he should be, I mean, based on what the establishment claims they want, based on what corporate media says they want, they should be celebrating that. But instead, they provide a disincentive by smearing Bernie Sanders and claiming that he didn't say something that he clearly freaking said. Like, why would anyone want to work with these types of people? 
Because if you're right, damned if you do, damned if you don't, you're gonna get hated on, you're gonna get criticized, you're gonna get mocked, you're gonna get smeared, regardless of what you do. Yeah. He called Biden a very decent man and said he's what? suspending his campaign because he understands the importance of defeating Donald Trump. Come on. Yeah. After running a, after running a... So I'm gonna fast forward in this a little bit. You, you heard her call them uh, corporate media, right? And so we're just gonna fast forward this conversation just a minute. Uh, I think I have the right spot here. And you know that the corporate media's whole job is to to want to beat Donald Trump. But if you don't agree with corporate media, they lie and they make up lies. And I'm just we're going to continue to show. But the question is why? Is there an agenda? What is the point? To vote for someone uh, that isn't going to fight for those votes himself, he will get no credit for that. I get that uh, there's a portion, a pretty significant portion of the Democratic Party that never wants to take responsibility for anything, including the giant uh, obvious flaws of the candidate that they have propped up. They did it in 2016, they're doing it again now. I just wanna make clear that if they want to defeat Donald Trump, they need to take responsibility, they need to tackle Joe Biden's flaws and do something about it immediately. And more importantly, because I'm seeing a lot of this today online, um, you need progressive votes in order to win. So mocking Bernie Sanders supporters, going after Brianna Joy Gray viciously on a day like today is gonna do nothing for your cause. And you can go ahead and whine and cry about how Biden lost because uh, progressives supposedly didn't give you anything and everything you wanted without even trying to cater to their needs or uh, without even trying to appeal uh, for their vote. But you got to take responsibility for your actions and no one's buying it, right? Like the behavior that I'm seeing today is so ridiculous and they just refuse to ever, ever acknowledge how, how much they divide the party, how much they go against their own so-called message of unity. Yeah. Um, and then one final example for you is uh, what a bunch of Hillary staffers did recently. So BuzzFeed News reported that less than an hour after Bernie Sanders announced uh, that he would be suspending his campaign, dozens of former Hillary Clinton staffers received uh, a mass email with a link to a Zoom call. So BuzzFeed News writes, invitation, bye-bye, Bernard. And then it says, um, Hillary for America celebration toast. The email to former Hillary Clinton staffers read, he's finally gone again. Join for a celebratory toast if you can, and yes, you can loop. Um, and then also after, I'm sure this got a little bit of backlash or maybe someone raised some concerns about putting something like that out there. Uh, on Later on in the day, the name of the Zoom call had been changed to a more generic Hillary for America end of primary celebration toast with no mention of Sanders. Still a toast. So and she's not in it. So it's sort of weird to have the toast. Yeah, what a, look, I, I know this isn't directly her, but look, she's done more than enough in the past few months. What a weird, sad life to just spend the rest of your life talking about Bernie Sanders. Like we rightfully attacked Donald. So that's, oh, well, here, let me. Trump for years later talking about the 2016 election. Um, she is, that that is the thing she's gonna talk about in media appearances for literally the rest of her. Okay, yeah, that's it. So. I just want you to see there, they're talking about directly about CNN and there's supposed to be some kind of combination there where the CNN is supposed to be, a, a, they're, they, they're not a news organization, they are a Democratic Party, um, a Democratic Party news outlet, corporate media, where 
Bernie Sanders. I mean, they lied about their own candidate because they want Joe Biden. They want Joe Biden. Now, I'm going to go in next and show you another thing from the Young Turks. Um, and when they said flawed candidate, referring to Joe Biden. Now, if you're not sure, I, we all know that the Democratic Party and CNN is all about the Me Too movement. We will get into that soon. Um, but let's go because sometimes it takes a president to literally stand up and show the mass media. And yesterday, President Trump did just that. Okay, again, this is, I'm not saying I'm pro-President Trump or pro any any party. That is not the point. I'm just going to show you facts. And if, if you stand up to the facts, and I wish I would have compiled a clip of what CNN's reaction was to this, because all they did was put angry headlines when he showed them their lies. And I'm going to play this for me. This is literally from the conference yesterday. It's another eight minutes, so let's play it. Write a couple of them down. If you look at statistics for Wuhan, China, notice before there was even a confirmed case of the virus in the United States. That's on January 6th. This is all documented uh, because we have so much fake news. I like to document things. January 6th, long before the dates we're talking about, CDC issued travel notice to Wuhan, for Wuhan. On January 11th, we have zero cases in the United States. Zero. We don't have any cases. Oh, well, that's interesting that that just... Small taverns like and restaurants that have literally, you know, small uh, gaming things. And, and we, we are coming out with some additional guidance on that. But I want to be... That just jumped. And the Democrats wanted it in. We didn't want that. But they wanted it in. And we have... I'm not sure who really... Uh, well, we're not looking for extraneous... Well... The governor agreed that you... Let's see if I can find that real quick. You. People are concerned that they... About case... I guess I just... I think... Someone is president of the United States. I don't know. I, I guess it just skipped. That's weird. I have to take a look. I wouldn't say Italy's doing great right now. I think for but no right. Um, all right, so I can't play that. But I will absolutely take Anyway, there is a point where he plays a video of all of them, basically all the lies that Fox News has told, and it looks like... It just maybe this just got reset because this is what I had up yesterday. I prepped for this video yesterday, last night, and it looks like they reset and put up today's conference. Um, yeah, it looks like they put up today's conference from earlier this morning uh, because now uh, it doesn't seem like it's there. Anyway, he basically played all of the the clippings about what about what the mass media in New York Times has said, and they lie, basically the lies and how they've even actually contradicted themselves. And now they're pushing for another Trump impeachment over a coronavirus that the whole world is literally shut down. The whole world. And of course we're gonna have more, and of course we are going to have more. Well, very much, uh, thank you. Of course we're going to have more cases because we have the largest country in the world outside of China. And China obviously lies about their cases. And there's no need to go into that, right? Because they are a government-owned entity. So I don't know why that that was working yesterday. But let's move on to the next the next video here, okay? Now, they're talking about an obvious... I hope this doesn't mess up, too. Uh, talking about an obvious flaw in Joe Biden. Again, CNN is all at CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, the mass cities... Um, cities that I used to live in um, all have an agenda, 
Okay, but again, why? What is the point? If you are a news organization, why would you not want the mass of people to know the truth? Because a lot of people say, we are the truth. Listen to this, listen, we know the truth. But then they push like the Me Too movement and bringing all these people down. But now they have a candidate here. And we're going to listen to what just came out to the candidate that they are pushing for president. And I'm not even need to play, but Joe Biden can't even complete a sentence right now. But we're going to push the man. We're going to play this little thing about who they are pushing for president. After a complete radio silence on the very detailed and serious sexual assault allegations made by a former Biden staffer against Joe Biden, the New York Times has finally decided to cover the details of those allegations. Uh, we've talked about those allegations on TYT for weeks now. Uh, Tara Reid is the former Senate staffer who's brought these uh, accusations forward. And um, she has now officially filed uh, a formal police report on the incident. She did so last week. And luckily, the Times did report on it. Now, we'll get into the details and discussion as to whether or not the Times did a fair job in covering those allegations. But before we do so, there's one story that ended up uh, developing from the Times coverage. And it has to do with what they had put out on Twitter to promote their reporting. Um, so there was a tweet that they put up and then they later deleted it. And I'm going to read it to you and you can probably tell why they ended up deleting it. No other allegation about sexual assault surfaced in the course of our reporting, nor did any former Biden staff corroborate Reid's allegation. We find no pattern or found no pattern of sexual misconduct by Biden beyond the hugs, kisses and touching that women previously said made them uncomfortable. So uh, they later deleted that tweet and replaced it with a friend said Sarah Reed told her the details of the allegation at the time and another friend and a brother of Reed's said she told them over the years about the traumatic sexual incident involving Biden. And they also included one other tweet explaining why they deleted the initial tweet saying we've deleted a tweet in this thread that had some imprecise language that has been changed in the story. And we'll get to the details of the story in just a minute. But Jake, I wanted to get your thoughts on the now deleted tweet. I can't tell if they deleted that tweet because it was embarrassing to say, there's no pattern of sexual misconduct. So this, I don't know why I just did that, but I am not, I just want you to see that's, that's some of it. I'm not gonna play that whole thing for you because I think it's important to see there is an agenda, but why? Why keep them poor? Why doesn't the government teach us about money to get a job, to fall in line? Why? What is the reason? I mean, we see here banks are failing. Um, let me go to it. Banks are failing. Uh, there's a new treasury dollar coming. China's actually dominating this stuff. There's surveillance going. The, uh, we got money or control. I know we talk about all the other stuff with XRP, 5G, they don't even do anything. They just move forward. So what is really going on? And so I continue to look and I came across this thing that's by Rosa Corey. And she is going to talk a little bit. I'm going to jump into a little bit of this, okay? So there's a first part and then there's a second part to this. And this is more about just listening to the news and asking the question why. Why does the mass media have one reason for pushing a candidate, one reason for denying a candidate? Why has been impeachment been pushed 
before Trump was even elected, they were pushing for impeachment. Why do they talk about why don't they talk about the surveillance that say the Obama administration opened up where well, we have mass surveillance now? Or how about taking the civil liberties during the Bush administration? Right? What is going on? Or let's talk about taking us off the gold standard for when Nixon took us off where the banks are failing. Why are we bailing out banks and corporations? Why are we oh man, that's right. Who owns the who owns who owns these news stations? CNN, MSNBC, CNBC. Who owns these people? The corporations. The banks are the owners. But why? What is the, is there an end game here? Is there an end game? So I'm going to play this for you. I'm Rosa Corey, and I'm from the United States, California. And uh, my topic, what I speak about, is uh, one of the most vitally important issues of our age, and that is United Nations Agenda 21, Sustainable Development. And uh, as I'll be talking about tomorrow, it is the inventory and control plan. Inventory and control of all land, all water, all minerals, all plants, all animals, all construction, all means of production, all food, all energy, all information, and all human beings in the world. And this is a plan that was agreed to by 179 nations back in 1992. It's a United Nations plan. It's called the Agenda for the 21st Century. And so many of us around the world think that, um, well, sustainable development, it just sounds so great. Isn't it about recycling and creative reuse and, uh, and creating energy and food resources for everyone? And the answer is no, it really is not. It's about moving populations into city centers, concentrated city centers, and clearing them out of the rural areas. So I became, um, I found out about it um, in a very unusual way, actually, because uh, I spent my career as a legal uh, witness, as an expert witness for the California Department of Transportation. I'm an expert in land use and land valuation. And uh, my specialty is in eminent domain valuations. So of course, I was valuing property for the government so that the government could acquire that property for road projects. And what I found about 10 years ago, around, uh, or 10 or 13 years ago, uh, was that land actually, it was very difficult to say what it was worth because you couldn't know what people could do with it because they were being restricted from using their property. And as I explored that and found that it wasn't just in the San Francisco Bay Area where, uh, where I was working, it was in fact all across the nation and the world, I looked behind that and I found United Nations Agenda 21, Sustainable Development. We created the Post Sustainability Institute uh, in order to educate people about the economic, social, political, and environmental impacts of communitarianism on the world. And communitarianism is that, uh, that concept, that uh, social and political construct that says that the individual's rights 
should be balanced against the rights of the community. And of course, the community is that amorphous, uh, undefined community that we, you know, when we talk about community, we think we're, of course, part of it and that, you know, it's a positive thing. But really, community is, uh, is constructed. It's constructed of non-governmental organizations, corporations, and government in order to dictate and regulate what it is that happens uh, around the world. And we as individuals have literally no influence on that unless we are in agreement with it. If you dissent against the community, against communitarian law or against communitarian uh, social tactics, you're rejected and, uh, and basically uh, made a, an outcast. And that is something that, uh, that we wanted to expose to the world. And the reason that, uh, that we created the Post-Sustainability Institute was in order to sue. Um, we sued our, our local government, and right now we're suing uh, up higher up in order to stop regional plans because regionalization is the stepping stone to globalization. And globalization is the standardization of all systems. So that includes uh, water, law enforcement, uh, education, energy. All systems have to be brought into harmony in order to control them all. Because when systems don't meet, when they're, when they're out of balance or not in sync with one another, they can't be controlled centrally. And the goal of Agenda 21 is one world government and total control from a central unit. So you heard that if you don't fall in line with the plan, you're an outcast. Bernie Sanders doesn't fall in line with the Democratic Party. He's an outcast. Trump doesn't fall in line with the Democratic Party and their agenda. He's an outcast. What does the Democratic Party want? And a lot of other governments and corporations, it's not even really about party lines. It's more about power and control. You see, that, that agenda she was talking about was from 1992. What's crazy is my stepdad actually sent me that by accident. A couple weeks ago, then I came across it again when I saw that in 2020, the document literally says in 2020, they want to try to make a world for better place using women's rights and using uh, globalization of, of actual uh, saving the world. That was their agenda, right? And now we're in 2020 and all of a sudden we have all these things and now we're having mass surveillance for the good of people, mass vaccinations for the good of people. But what is really going on? Because what is the end game here? You heard her. The government wants to, uh, all these nations signed on prior to a Donald Trump about wanting to have one government, one monetary system, one operating police system. That is a one world government, one power. And what is happening right now, if all the financial systems around the world crumble, one group steps in and there has to be a group entity that discusses because once we all go on a gold standard something's happened but why not let people know this so they can prepare what is the point what is the question why keep people poor why keep them uneducated what is the end game here i mean you think if businesses really want to succeed i mean trump wants to literally airdrop he really wants to airdrop money to people really wants to airdrop money to the people just boom. But the Democrats don't want money to be airdropped to the people. Why not? Why not? I mean, let me know what you think about that. At New Creation Cap, hit us up. We're going to go on and fit to the next part of the video. And it's just the last. And she's going to talk about 
in game. Now you heard her. She she's not she's she's someone to be that knows her things, and she's gonna give us one more little information. It's about two minutes, and then we'll wrap up the video. Okay. Right on a train line, or the train doesn't have to be there. It's the proposed idea of a train line. And then no development, no buildings, no residential, no commercial can happen outside of that very, very concentrated area. Then what do you have? You have a concentration camp. Hey, let me back up here so you can get the whole thing. Now, um, what this truly means is if you tell people that they have to build only smart growth, high density development in an urban center, right on a train line, or the train doesn't have to be there, it's the proposed idea of a train line. And then no development, no buildings, no residential, no commercial can happen outside of that very, very concentrated area. Then what do you have? You have a concentration camp of the future. This is exactly what it looks like. And you see, it's very much more subtle and much more sophisticated than it was when the Nazis were doing it. You are not going to get thrown on a train car. You will just have your, uh, your roads out in the rural areas pulverized and turned to gravel. You'll have your family well monitored. You will have your energy restricted. You will have your, uh, your, your school service cut, your, uh, your sheriff's service cut. You will find that you are not able to get your goods to market, and then you have to move into the city, and then you will move into this high-density development that is subsidized with our property tax dollars, and pretty soon you will have the Wildlands Project which is predicated on moving people out of the rural areas. This is how it happens. So, um, you know, people say, well, hey, nobody's getting me off my land. Well, it's very easy. You know, no one's going to come to your door with a gun, but they will move you off your land and you will be in the cities. And those cities will be full capability of surveillance, monitoring and control. These buildings, these high density buildings are being built with a concept of eyes on the street you become basically a deputized police adjunct. Your job is to watch the street. Your job is to watch your neighbor. The, the war on terror is a war on you. And we all know this, we feel it. This is why we need to stop it. So this is our plan, is to use the courts at this point and stop this plan, and we're working on it. So real quick, that's from John Nord. I wanna make sure he gets credit for this video. I'm going to look for a tweet real quick because they talked about mass surveillance and I retweeted something yesterday and it just made me think of it just now. We're going to come across it somewhere here. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Here it is. So this is from, this is from anti-fragile and it says, what's really going on in New York? Okay. The source is a CBS thing and I'm going to play this clip for you because she talked about moving into mass cities and density mass surveillance and slowly doing what people don't understand right so I'm gonna actually like this guy because I don't think I follow him so let me follow him shout out to him all right now let's listen to what this is bridges and tunnel 
But at night, it lights up really nice. Jose Lugo says these tall metal towers quickly popped up after Brooklyn Battery Tunnel toll booths came down. We don't really know what's the, the purpose of this. It's a $100 million MTA project full of secrecy, with 18 of these for the tunnels and bridges. So what are they exactly? Are you saying you can't comment to me? You know? That's the MTA's man in charge of bridges and tunnels, Cedric Fulton, dodging our questions. Not even later, can we talk to you about it? Or? Some MTA board members, including New York City Transportation Commissioner Polly Trottenberg, say they know too little about the towers, even with about half the money spent and some of the towers up. A lot of the board members felt like they didn't have all the details they would have wanted, myself included. Residents who say they suspect there is much more going on with these towers than meets the eye wonder, will they ever know what's going on inside them? I'm going to guess it's probably not just a decoration. It's a bit mind-boggling that the MTA is approving $100 million for what appears to us to be uh, big decorative uh, pylons. John Caney is leader of the watchdog group Reinvent Albany. What we're asking for is transparency from the MTA. We demanded answers from MTA chairman Joe Loda. Some of your own board members say they don't know the specifics. The base of these new, um, uh, new pieces that are going up uh, include whatever uh, fiber optics are necessary for those homeland security items. In other words, anti-terror technology. Could it one day include facial recognition? We don't know. He won't say. I'm not at liberty to discuss that. So watch as more of these expensive towers rise with mystery tucked away inside them. In lower Manhattan, Dave Carlin, CBS 2 News. Chairman Lowe yep. said so, all this. I mean, that's the gist of it right there, guys. You know, they're, they're, they can use the word, I am not at liberty to say. I am not at liberty to use whatever it may be. Um, I think it is crazy right now how it's slowly happening in mass cities. And if you look at the massive breakout of the coronaviruses in New York City, I think they came over 10,000 cases just now, deaths of, of deaths where they have claimed it is COVID-19. That's insane. So why do you think this is happening? She says government control, mass surveillance, controlling money. Where do you see this going? What do you think? You know, let us know. Right there, you can message us on the New Creation Capital Podcast right there, okay? Let's see before we close up uh, what's going on in the stock here. Again, are you asking the wrong questions? What questions should you be asking? Definitely as you invest. So, right now is about 10 minutes before the market closes at the time of this video. We are still up. The Dow is up 568 points. Wow. 2.43%. The S&P is up 3.5%. The NASDAQ is up 4%. The global Dow is up 2%. Gold down 0.26%. Not too bad. And oil down another 8%. Oil is back to $20, folks. That, it was just $23, $24. So that's interesting because there was just some kind of agreement. So, And of course, guys, it's getting big. You know, Does this make you want to think about Bitcoin or XRP or whatever it may be? Whatever your preference is, again, as an investment company, this is not financial advice, but most of our holdings are in XRP. So I think we got a lot of good questions, guys. All right. So, of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, 
And of course, you can hit us up on Twitter. Our Twitter address is at New Creation Cap. Right there, you can see us. You can follow along with us. Thank you to the people who helped uh, Mr. Bank XRP and some of the other people here. There was also one more that India extended its lockdown through May 3rd now. So that is coming. Also, you can find us on the Publish OX website. Uh, where you can see all of our things. Make sure to check out yesterday's, man. Mark Cuban talks about all the banks are failing. Please like and subscribe. Hit us up on the on the YouTube. Do the YouTube thing, as I always ask you to, the social media thing. The quote of the day, the verse of the day, the scripture of the day is, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. That is 2 Thessalonians 3.3. Shout out to the girlfriend for giving me that verse as I was doing this podcast. So, guys, please, please, please do your own research, like and subscribe, and ask the question why. Don't just throw money at something. Don't just do something. Why? Why are the banks not getting their money to the people? Why is the mass media lying to you? Why is the mass media trying to tell you what to think? The question is why. So, please, again, partner with us, message us, hit us up on Twitter. And, of course, guys... This is your boy Christian Israel, and you are listening to the New Creation Capital Podcast, a place where we discuss what happens in the world today, where we talk about stories that focus on current events, the stock market, and digital assets. And as I would like to make sure you do, buy low, sell high, guys. This is a new you, a new future, and a new creation. Until next time, guys, peace and love. Later.